Hey, this is Tyler Johnson, pastor of Mission Church located in Walnut Creek, California. I want to say thank you for tuning in. I hope this podcast inspires you, encourages you, and helps you live the life God called you to live. Enjoy. If you're brand new, I'm Tyler. I'm the pastor here. Um, uh, was there any? No, I don't. No more Niner jokes. I, I did a ton the first service. And yeah, it's not fair. You know what I'm saying? Uh, when the Seahawks lost, I didn't want to talk about it. I get it. Um, so let's talk about Jesus. How about that? Let's talk about hope. Let's talk about hope and restoration and uh, a better tomorrows. Uh, so we're in a series titled, I Believe, I Say, I Believe. Now, uh, this series has been going on for five weeks. Uh, it's been a series I've really enjoyed. This is a rhythm you'll see in scripture that Jesus comes on the scene and he pleads with people at times to believe. He's like, oh, just believe. You'll hear him see this. Now, why is it so important for us to believe? Because right beliefs ha- uh, equal right behavior. Uh, your beliefs will affect your behaviors. And so there's something that happens in this world where the world starts to shape how we process, and the Word of God wants to come into your life because you're not supposed to be a product of your environment. You're supposed to be a product of Scripture. Can I get an amen? amen. So we're going to be a product of Scripture, not a product of our environment. Now, we're going to talk about worships today. So uh, I, the title of my message, very creative, I believe in worship. Okay, uh, old English word would be worth-ship. It's so unworthy to something. So uh, my points are very, 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 very thought-provoking. First one is, why is worship important? Ooh, that's good. Okay, let's keep on. Second one's gonna be is, what is worship? Ooh, even better, okay. And then the last one we're gonna talk about is, how do you worship? So why, what, and how? Does that sound great? Yeah. All right, so why is worship so important? Romans 1, 21 through 23 says this. Yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God. Oof. You ever seen somebody who knows God, but they really don't give him the respect? You ever been disrespected before? You ever seen somebody like not treat you the way you should be treated? There is a standard in how we treat God. There's a standard on how we should respond to God. This is what this is saying. They, they, they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. It's like they wouldn't even say thank you to the creator of the universe that saved him. This verse is to believers, not to the world. So it's to a church that has lost their way during worship, okay? And they began to think of foolish ideas of what God was like. Man, the church is doing that a lot right now. Well, God's like this, God's like that. Never ever get in a conversation of debating who God is. Go to scripture and just say, did you see what scripture says who God is? Always go to scripture. Uh, and so it goes on to say, as, uh, as a result. So this is what happens when you worship wrong, when your worship goes off. As a result, their minds became dark and confused, claiming to be wise. They instead became utter fools. And instead of worshiping the glorious ever-living God, oof, there's the great exchange in the Bible on the cross, and this is what I would title the terrible exchange in Romans 1. The great exchange is we got freedom and Jesus got death. We got the promises and he got the cursing. It's a great exchange. And 50 plus years later, the church again exchanges again all those things for a terrible exchange. They get this, what do they get? They exchange the glorious ever-living God, they worship idols made to look like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles. I've been to a lot of bad churches, but I've never been to a church that worships reptiles. Come on now. Uh, so why is worship so important? Here's what it says in Romans 1. Just look at this. When your worship's off, everything is off. When, when, when our culture is worshiping the wrong things, culture just goes off the reservation. Starts to just, when the value system gets turned upside down, it gets dark and confusing. Now let's take it from culture to your home. When the worship is off in your home, when you're worshiping the wrong things, your home is off. When, you're, when you are worshiping the wrong things, your marriage is off. When you're worshiping the wrong things, your kids are off. Now let's take it personal. When you worship the wrong things, your life's just, it's just off. It's not aligned with the right things. Let me put it this way. If you worry a lot, you're just a worrier, always worrying about this and worrying about that and worrying about this. If you have a worry problem, it's probably because you have a worship problem. Let me say this. If you are dissatisfied in life, I'm gonna show you a lot of scripts on this. If you're dissatisfied and not fulfilled, it's probably because you have a worship problem. 
You ready for me to say one of the most romantic things ever? All right, here I go. Before I met Rachel, before I, uh, um, before I married Rachel, do you know what? I was fantastic. I was great. My life was phenomenal. Whew. Do you know if I never would have married Rachel, my life would have been great? Oof. How could you say that? It's like a warm hug. Where's my baby girl at? She won't even be in service for that statement. Okay. Now I talked to her. We talked about it. Here's why. Because then when Rachel and I got married, guess what happened? I didn't worship Rachel. I enjoyed Rachel. Do you know I have a phenomenal marriage? You know, I love hanging out with my girl. Do you know my house? We have a phenomenal climb in our house because we don't worship the wrong things. We worship the right thing and his name is Jesus. And so what happens a lot is, is that we worship an idea. We worship a person. We worship a, 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 a standard or success. Let's just look at a culture real quick. If you lived in Alabama or Louisiana, you could see what they worship in two seconds. You would see their cars, you, you know, go, uh, go Tide or Roll Tide, you know. And so everybody has, like, you know, Alabama stickers in Alabama or Auburn things. And, and when they play, I mean, they do, like, five-hour, you know, tailgating. They, you know, they, they literally, like, their life and death is on it. Like, they're like, if they, we lose, it's the worst year ever. We got to wait 364 days to make up for it. It's a football game. But, man, they worship football in the South, South in the SEC. It's just, it's obvious. But what about our area? I mean, we don't worship football. I mean, the Cal games are like half full. I mean, let's just be honest. You know what I'm Sorry, Mike Teasy. Teasy's like, watch it. We worship success. We worship money. It's very obvious to see what we worship. But God is looking for worshipers to worship something way greater that would fulfill you way better, that would take your life from just being off to actually being everything it's supposed to be. And I believe in worship. I believe in what could do your life. So, so. That's why worship is so important. So what is worship? Uh, Chris Hodges, I, th- I think, says it best in a very simple quote. Worship is our response to what we value most. Now, can I just say, God doesn't mind you valuing other things. He doesn't mind you adoring other things. But he does mind you valuing things more than him and adoring things more than him. Uh, now you're saying, well, what, what does that look like, like responding to what I value most? Just follow the trail. And what that trail looks like is this, these things right here. Follow the trail of what you give your time, energy, thoughts, and money to. Because that's really what you worship. It's just what you're, you're deeming worthy of giving your time, your energy, your resources, everything. That's what you're worshiping. I, I love this uh, chapter in the Bible. It's John 4. And I've never seen it this way, but really what Jesus is doing throughout Scripture is he's fixing people's worship problem. So this woman, she's a Samaritan woman. She is sleeping around in town. She has five-plus husbands, a.k.a. she's not married. Uh, and so she has shame in her, her town, her city. And so instead of going the, the uh, well in the morning where everybody would go in the morning, she would go by herself because she didn't want anybody to see her because of the shameful life that she's living. And so Jesus encounters her at this moment in midday. It'd be super hot. Nobody goes to the well mid-hot uh, day to go get uh, water. That's not when you go. Somebody with shame goes there. And so she's there. Jesus encounters her. And I always think about it, it's just this one statement. If you knew who I was, you'd be asking for living water. It's a phenomenal, powerful statement. But if you keep reading, you find out Jesus isn't just talking about living water. He's trying, he's trying to fix her worship problem so he can fix her real problems. You are not the fixer of problems. Jesus is the fixer of problems. And so her problem is, is, is thinking that she finds her value, her worth, her hope in men. So she's hopping from guy to guy trying to find the right guy. And Jesus says, your problem is not men, your problem is worship. You're worshiping the wrong things. Do you know in John 4 that Jesus mentions worship 10 times in their conversation? 10 times. He is trying to lead her to a place saying, hey, you want to change your life? Change the way you worship. You want to change your life? Change your value system. And so he goes on to say this in John 4, 21 to 24. Jesus replied, believe me. There it is. I believe. Everybody say, believe me. This is Jesus pleading with 
her and I believe pleading with us. I think he's, he's just like a good father uh, would be saying, believe me, believe me, dear woman. The time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship, while we Jews know all about him. For salvation comes through the Jews, but the time is coming. Indeed, it is here now. It's here now. Come on now. This is good. When true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. And this is where it gets really good. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. Woo! So you're saying in this verse that we're going to worship in spirit and in truth. And not only that, the, God, the, the, the Greek word is he is seeking the earth, looking for worshipers to worship him that way. Goes on to finish with this. For God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. So let's break down today's message. I'm just going to give you a little heads up. I'm about to pray. It's a lot of teaching. If you like preaching, come back next week. Okay, like just come back, okay? Or watch last week's message. I believe in the Father. It was preaching. It was awesome. Um, but today's gonna be a lot of teaching. Uh, teaching is sharpen the axe. Preaching is teaching how to swing the axe. Uh, so it's gonna be a lot of teaching today. So spirit, uh, why is he saying spirit? Well, the earthly temple that they were accustomed to, it was pretty grand. It was a pretty grand temple. And in that temple, you needed a, a temple to worship. And she's like, well, how are we gonna worship? Don't we need a temple? He's like, no, we're no longer gonna need a temple. Now that temple had a candle bar, basically a bunch, a bunch of candle stands that would light up the room. Jesus says, no longer do you need the candle stand in the temple. I'm the light of the world. I'm the new temple. So no more candle stand because he's the light of the world. They would put a bread of plate in there to represent life. No longer do you need to bring a bread of plate anymore because he is the bread of life. He's replacing all these things. Not only that, you'd have to bring a sacrifice to the altar. No longer do you need to bring a sacrifice to the altar of the temple because he's the ultimate sacrifice. So he's trying to say to you and I, hey, worship is no longer geographical. Worship is no longer some religious act. Worship is spiritual. It is a relational act. It is spiritual. You can worship me anywhere. You can plug in anywhere. Uh, you, you remember uh, um, old phones where you actually had to talk from the wall? You guys remember those? Kind of a crazy thought, right? Well, Jesus came in and said, this is called the iPhone of worship. You can worship me anywhere, okay? You can go anywhere. It's called the internet. It's going to change the game. You can plug in anywhere. So you can worship in spirit. Truth is simply this. You got to know who you're worshiping. A lot of us, if you agree with everything, if you have a God that doesn't disagree with you, you probably are worshiping your own self. That's a Timothy Keller quote. I wish it was mine. It's not mine. Um, and so what happens a lot is you worship, but then you're only worshiping to your preference. You're worshiping what you want to worship. That is never the way scripture shows us. We're supposed to worship with spirit and truth. And the truth part even means this. It should transform you. You should read truth the same. Man, love people, forgive people. And as you worship, it starts to make you love different. It makes you forgive different. It changes your mercy bar. It changes your grace bar. It literally transforms you. That's what happens when we worship in spirit and truth. Now that word worship, let's teach a little bit more. Forgive me, and then we'll pray. Uh, proskenio is the Greek word in worship. It's used 50 plus times in the New Testament. It's the most common word used for worship. Now, what is proskenio? There's two uh, types of uh, descriptions in this Greek word that you would have used in this time. One is if somebody walked in of extreme, like superior uh, value, you would literally be on the ground, face planted, kissing the ground or kissing their feet, reverence on who showed up in the room. It's an amazing thing. So it'd be kind of like this. It'd be like if you were slouching and somebody super important came in, you would sit up. It would change your, you, you would respond even physically to who's in the room. So he's looking for worshipers that will actually respond to when they know that God's in the room. Another picture it shows, and I love this, this shows that God's a dog person, not a cat person. Where are my dog people at? Who loves dogs? Yeah. Who loves cats? I don't get you at all. I don't get you at all. I don't get it. I don't get it. My wife likes cats. I don't get it. I don't get it. So God shows right here that he's a dog person because he's looking for worshipers. He's saying proskenial. The other picture in this Greek word is a dog licking his owner's hand, running up so excited to see his owner that he licks his owner's hand. 
So it's this, this uh, enthusiasm, it's this intimacy, but it's also showing that there is a superior master and there is a, a person who is not the master. And so um, I'll never forget uh, going camping with my uh, uh, family a handful of years ago. Uh, Rachel and I are camping and my younger sister got a little Dotson, a little wiener dog. And I just the cutest little thing. And so we wanted to keep it outside. But when you're camping, uh, there are predators. And so above us in a tree was a big old owl. And every time we bring a Duke out, Duke's the dog's name, the owl would be like this. No, 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 no. And we're like, oh, you're about to eat Doc? No, you're not going to eat Duke. No, not today, owl. And so we like, we like oh, let him out. But then we kind of almost forget where he was. Like, oh, where's Duke? And then we see the owl. Like, okay, that's it. We're going to put Duke in the motorhome and we'll take him on locks. But we can't risk Duke's life. Uh, Duke, you're going to have to go in the motorhome. And so I would walk in the motorhome, and uh, the first time I walked in, it kind of caught me off guard, but Duke would just be sitting there, and he'd see me walk in, he'd be like, <laughs> you know, like, oh my gosh, Tyler's in the motorhome, Tyler's here, Tyler's here, and he'd run up to me, and out of my lap, I was like, oh my gosh, did we just become best friends? It was like this amazing moment. And so people were like, why do you always keep going back to the motorhome? Oh, if you only knew, if you only knew. My love language is quality time, people happy to see me. No joke, that's my number one love language. I don't need words of affirmation, I don't need gifts. I just want people to happy to see me. So I'd, I'd come back five minutes later and do like, oh my gosh, you're back already? You're, you know? And so over and over and over again. Then my sister's like, oh, and then I, you know, of course, told me, I was like, man, Duke loves me. Like, no, just anybody who opens the door, Duke does that too. I was like, I'm not trying to hear that, you see? Uh-uh, not today, not today. And so I was like, watch this. I'll shut the door, and in 10 seconds, I'll come back, and Duke will still be, like, so excited. And so my sister was looking through the window. I shut it. 10 seconds, I open it up, and again, Duke's like, oh, my gosh, you, I thought you were coming back. I thought you'd be so long. I was like, one of these great moments again, okay? So bear with me. So God says he is looking for that kind of worship. That's the word he decided to use, that the Father's going to seek the earth and look for somebody when they know the presence of God is in the room, when they know that God is there, that they are not going to worship like this, because that's what a cat would do. A cat would be like this. <laughs> you gonna make me some food or what? I'll come back when I get some food, all right? Just for the record, I uh, scratched the post and I peed in your bedroom, all right. <laughs> See you later, I'm a cat. That's what a cat does. But can I submit to you that a lot of churches in America worship more like a cat? I'm gonna drop that bomb on you. <laughs> oh, dang. They worship more like a cat instead of a dog. Oh my gosh, I'm worshiping the King of Kings, Lord of Lords. Oh, I get to come into his presence. We're worshiping together as a church. Oh my God, Lord, I love you. Oh, one song, I was so excited. Oh, another song, oh my gosh, we're gonna sing a second song, raise a hallelujah. Oh, a third song, what a beautiful name it is. Oh, okay, announcements, what do you mean, another song? Yes, I'll worship to another song. If you get tired of worship, oof, you should never get tired of encountering your God. That's the kind of worshipers you're looking for. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for what you're doing at Mission Church, and I do, I, I do. I pray that we would, we would be a church that when you are seeking the earth, that you would see Mission Church so excited to chase after you, so excited to respond that you have entered the room. Lord, you've already initiated the, the response. It was you dying on the cross. You pursued us. It is now our turn to respond to what you have done. Father, we love you. Oh, may my words fall to the floor, and may your words soar. And everybody said? Amen. Okay, so here's what we're going to do today. Uh, we talked about uh, why is worship important. What is worship? Another verse I could uh, simply uh, read you is Romans 12. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Do you know that God does not want to be your Sunday God? He wants to be your Monday God also. He wants to be your Tuesday God. He wants to be your Wednesday God. He wants to be your Thursday God. Friday God. Can I keep going? Your Saturday God. 
This is the type of God, this is the type of God we worship. He's saying, I want you to respond on Sunday, sure. But when you wake up on Monday, I want you to respond the same way. I, I am your audience of one. Respond to me this way. And on Tuesday, respond to me. This is true worship. Singing songs on Sunday, great way to worship God. But the way you live your life, the way you respond to my godness, my goodness, if I could put it that way, this is real worship. And so how do we worship? How do we respond? And again, I think it's so interesting. Uh, what happens a lot in church is people uh, tell me how they should uh, worship by their personality. Well, this is my personality. This is how, I this is how, this is how God knitted me to worship. Now, let's look at everything relational. God says that we are the church, we are his bride. So let's use a marriage illustration real quick to use the personality um, answer that a lot of people give in church. So imagine Rachel and I are married, and my bride um, uh, tells me that when I come home, the biggest thing she wants is a hug from me. And I go, you want a hug from me? No, that's just too much to ask. Here's the deal, okay? You know I love you, and if I don't love you, I'll let you know. Does that sound good? Is that like the worst husband ever? Well, and she's like, hey, Rachel, yep. <laughs> um, now let's, let's look at this real quick. But I would be telling my wife, but no, you don't understand, baby. It's not my personality to open the door and run up and give you a hug. That's just not my vibe. I like to settle down for a little bit. I like to kick my feet up. I want to have a cup of coffee. I'll do it when I want because that's just my personality, how I'm going to love you. I don't get to set the standard on how I'm going to love my wife. She gets to say this is how she receives love. I don't get to tell her how I'm going to give her love. And so God, as a king, says to his bride, here's how I receive love. He shares seven Hebrew words in the Old Testament. Seven. The biggest book in the Bible is the book of Psalms. You call it the worship book. I'm going to call it the love book because really worship is love expressed. So 150 chapters. Biggest book in the Bible. We see this word praise all throughout Scripture. Now, Hebrew words are pictorial, meaning that you can say one Hebrew word, but really it paints a picture. And so it would take a paragraph to describe each um, Hebrew word in praise. So what we're going to do is I'm going to share all seven words on what I would call God's love languages, what he's asking from the church to respond. He's saying, hey, when you walk into my presence, this is what I would desire. And you can say, well, that's just not my personality. Well, what a terrible spouse response. It's not up to you to tell the God what, how he wants to be loved by you. This, he gets to tell you. Can we be, is that fair? Let's go to, let's go to the first one, okay? Uh, uh, first uh, Hebrew word, this is how we worship, Hallel. Everybody say Hallel. It is, uh, it sounds familiar, hallelujah. It is over 100 times uh, in the Old Testament. It means to rave and boast, to celebrate clamorously foolish. Woof. Let's look at the Bible real quick. Let's see how it's used. Psalm 35, 18. Then I will thank you in front of the great assembly. Lord, I'm about, to, I'm about to celebrate. I'm about to look like a fool. I don't even care, but I'm about to boast like crazy about how great you are in front of everybody, it says. I will praise you before all the people. So I will praise you before people. Let's use an illustration of what that would look like. Um, let's say in your house, um, your, um, your great-grandma leaves you this necklace. You didn't think much of it, so you threw it in a drawer. Sometimes you even lose the necklace. Sometimes you don't even know where the necklace is. And then one day, you pull out the necklace, and your, uh, your neighbor goes, that looks like a pretty impressive necklace. You should probably go get that appraised. And you're like, ah, it's not a big deal. No, you should go get appraised. So then you take that necklace that you didn't even care about, you didn't have any response to, you bring it to the appraiser, and the appraiser's looking at it, like, ooh, oh my gosh. Um, do you know what necklace this is? And you're like, no, what necklace? It's the necklace from Titanic. It's amazing, you know? <laughs> Um, imagine that was a real necklace, okay? And so basically they're like, oh my gosh, this necklace is like from, the king, uh, from a king of whatever country in the 1800s. This necklace is basically priceless. It has diamonds galore on it. They're just not very clean right now. If we wash this up, they are clear like crazy. This is worth over $100 million. How would you respond? Would you respond maybe a little halil? A little, would you rave a little bit? Would you boast a little bit about what, what you just got? 
Would you maybe grab the necklace? Oh my gosh, oh my gosh, this is legacy money. My grandkids are gonna be, their life's gonna be changed by this because this $100 million is gonna go a long way. You'd be calling your whole family. Guess what? The, uh, the necklace that we had in the drawer, it's worth 100 million plus. It's the necklace from Titanic. It's a real necklace. They'd be like, what? Why are you yelling? Why are you screaming? Did you not hear me? It's worth 100, it's gonna change our life financially. You would be, I mean, you would post it on Instagram. You would celebrate it. You'd be like, look what I got. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Super Bowl, Super Bowl commercial? Okay. Um, okay, that's an old one. Anyways, but you would be doing something. You would halil. Now let's take it to the other level. When you find out that the King of Kings and Lord of Lords saved your life and it's gonna change everything. It's gonna change your marriage. It's gonna change the way you raise your kids. It's gonna change the way that finances used to own you. You used to worry a lot. No longer do you worry a lot because you worship a lot now instead. It's hard to worry and worship at the same time. It changes your life. You might get a little halil. You might praise a little different. And God's saying, when I change your life, you know what would love me? That you would rave and boast about it. That you wouldn't care what other people think. You know what it says in John 12? That when they believed God, they wanted to respond, but they wouldn't respond because they liked the praise of people more than the praise of God. John 12. May we not love the praise of people more. May we respond and say, I love the praise of God. Halil. Uh, next one is yada. Also known as ta-da. Uh, yada, to acknowledge God in public, to lift your hands. So people are like, hey, why do you raise your hands at church? The most simple answer ever is because he told us to. That's it, he told me to. If God told me to flap my arms like this, to put my leg like this, and to stick my tongue out like this, what a beautiful name it is, I would do it. And you'd be like, why are you doing it? Because he says in his word over 90 times that I'm supposed to lift my hands to him. That's why I lift my hands. Do I feel like it every time on a Sunday? Do I feel like it in my house when I'm worshiping? No, I don't always feel like it. It's not even an emotional response. It's an obedient, I declare your God response. And so, so let's look at this real quick. Uh, Psalm 138.1, I will praise you, Lord, with all my heart before the gods, lowercase g, I will sing your praises. Again, what are those lower gods? Just other things that you value, but you need to put them in their place. I value these things, but I don't value them like my God. I don't, I don't respond the same way to these things as I do to God. Let's, let's look, make it relational again. Imagine if my wife, you know, maybe I hadn't seen her in a, in a month and she walks through the living room and there's a bunch of people over and she looks at me, uh, she walks in and this is what I do when I see her. What kind of response is that to my bride? Give her a little look. What if she walked in and I'm like this? Maybe I had a cup of coffee, man. We can all agree that's not a great response, yes? Okay, good, okay. If not, let's talk later. Sign up for the marriage retreat. Um, you're gonna learn that's a terrible response. Let's go on. Now, what if my wife walks in and there's a bunch of people and my wife's been gone for a month and there's, you know, people who are brand new in the room, maybe some ladies who walked in and they're like, who is that 6'4 guy? They didn't know I was taking because they're brand new and they're, we're not mad at them, but stay away from me, girl. Um, so they're on the room and Rachel walks in and I do this. Rachel, my baby girl, I'm over here, get over here. And I raise my hand in public saying, that's my baby, I'm your husband, do you see me? I'm in the same room, I'm over here, come over here. And what this praise is saying is when you worship, it's saying lift your hands in a way saying, God, do you see me? You said in your word that you're looking for worshipers that would respond to you, well, I'm responding. Do you see me, God, because I see you. And what happens a lot in worship is the song comes on and we do this. Oh yeah, what a beautiful name it is. 
I heard that. That's good. Hmm. Can we agree that's not a great response to our God who died on a cross? If not, you didn't know that, you need to go to Mission Track, sign up for a small group. We're going to lift our hands to recognize God and say, God is bigger than everything. He is my God. It's not an emotional response. Now, don't be wrong, it's okay if it's emotional. Emotions aren't bad. He created you to be emotional. So if you have a great emotional response, like you're excited that day, raise your hands. You know, we really do live in a hedonistic culture. Hedonistic, all it means is that you let your feelings lead you wherever you want to go. If it feels good, I do it. And so many people process every decision by their feelings. We're not supposed to be led by our feelings. We're supposed to be led by the word of God. And the word of God will lead you to raise your hands. And a lot of time what happens is when you start raising your hands, it starts to affect your emotions. It's amazing. Let's go to the next word. Brock, Brock. To bless by kneeling or bowing. Psalm 103.1. Praise the Lord my soul, all my inmost being. Praise his holy name. So this is a celebration one in, in praise. You'll see this um, 70 times uh, throughout scripture. Uh, you'll see in Psalm 72 when Solomon is celebrating the temple uh, finishing up. So it's a praise of just accomplishing something for God, uh, that God helped you do something you couldn't do in your own strength. Another one, it's used in Judges in the song of Deborah, showing victory, praising. So basically what happens is it gives direction to your success. It lets people know why you're successful. It lets people know why your life is the way it is. So when you have a great week and you have like a victorious week, the, one of the greatest things you can do is respond with praise. So, you know, screaming out Jesus in, in service on a Sunday. People are like, why are you so excited today? Why are you celebrating? Why are you praising that way? Oh, it's one of the best weeks ever. He deserves my, my, my praise. He deserves to be glorified. If I, if I keep the success to myself, it's not the same. Do you know the best way to really enjoy success is to celebrate the one who gave you success? That's what that word means. Let's celebrate success. Uh, next one. Zamar, 40 times making music to God with strings. Uh, Psalm 92, this is one of my favorite ones for a reason. Uh, it is uh, good to praise the Lord and make music to your name. O Most High, proclaiming your love in the morning and your faithfulness at night. To the music of the 10-string lyre and the melody of the harp. Stop. That word zamar is not like plucking a chord like, mm, Jesus, my... No, it is absolutely going, it is an all-out kind of praise that's saying, hey, you slap the bass. You get those keys and you start rocking. You get the drums and you start hitting those cymbals. You get the, that voice and you start saying, Jesus! Sorry, I can't do it. I'm, I'm tone deaf. Um, but what it's saying is our God likes to rock. We have a cool God. Like if Jesus came in, he'd be like, oh, okay, we're about to party. Do you know your, your, our God likes to party? It's not a bad thing to say that. The, the kingdom of heaven is a great party. It's a great banquet. His first miracle was a party. So when we worship, people should see it more like a party than a funeral. When we're worshiping our first few songs, I call them our celebration songs. Now, if we are celebrating that, that Jesus conquered the grave, that no longer you are, imagine if you were literally dead yesterday and Jesus raised you to life like Lazarus. How would you respond? What would be too much? Do you know in John 11, Lazarus, Lazarus is raised in John 12, there is this woman, there's Mary, there's Lazarus, and they're pouring perfume, and they're pouring out this perfume that's worth a day's wage. And do you know what's happening in that room? People are judging that it's too much worship. They're a judge when people worship too much. Maybe when like somebody says a verse or a scripture and somebody stands up like, "Woo, that was good, pastor. Come on now, read that 121 again. You're like, sit down, that's weird. Maybe, maybe they love the word of God that much. What's too much? Because what happens when she pours out this perfume, you'll see in Luke 7, you'll see in John 12, is bottom line, Jesus is being worshiped and he's loving it. She's kissing his feet. This is proscenio on the whole another level. And you know what people are saying? That's a little too much. Uh, um, that could have been a year's wage. Um, how about this? Um, why is she wasting it on your feet, Jesus? 
Can you imagine Jesus like, what do you mean they're wasting on my feet? Do you know who I am? She's not wasting it. When you give God everything, it's an all-out kind of praise. You're wasting none, nothing. When I was dating Rachel, a couple of my single friends, and we'll go on the next one, they would, uh, they would be annoyed how long I talked to Rachel on the phone. If Rachel called, they were like, see you later, Tyler, we'll see you tomorrow. Because what would happen is it'd be like 7 p.m., Rachel would call, and I would talk to her like 3 a.m. We'd just be on the phone. You know, my buddy Mikey was visiting from Puyallup, and I remember her, she called at 7 p.m., and I talked till 3 a.m., and he's like, bro, what happened to you, man? And I was like, you don't get it, because you're still single. <laughs> single people don't get that kind of love. Single people don't get that kind of craziness. Well, people who watch people worship that way, the reason why you don't get it yet is because you don't experience them like that yet. Because Jesus says, the one who has been forgiven for much loves much, a.k.a. she experienced a forgiveness that you haven't experienced yet because you think that you forgave some of yourself. Do you think you're not actually, don't need to be raised to life as much? She knows she was completely dead in sin and Jesus raised her to life. What else could she do to give him everything she's got? Some of you think that you weren't really raised from death. You just think that you just got saved from just being okay. No, you were done. You were, I mean, expiration date, boom, thrown out. Jesus said, come back in. The, last, the least we can do is praise him like that. Does that make sense? Next one is uh, Shabak. Shabak. And just so you know, I know I'm not pronouncing these correctly, okay? I don't speak Hebrew, all right? Maybe like, okay, I just can't do it. Um, to address in a loud tone, to shout. So, so Psalm 63, two through five would say this. I've seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory because your love is better than life. My lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live. And in your name, I will lift up my hands. I will be fully satisfied as with the richest of foods. Oof, stop, do you see that? I'm worshiping you and because I'm worshiping you, what does it say? I will be fully satisfied as if I ate the richest foods. Do you know how great it is to have the best meal on the planet? You just feel so great afterwards. Do you know how great it feels when you really worship God? After a real worship time with the Lord, it is one of the most satisfying, if not the most satisfying thing you can do on the planet. And he's saying, when I worship you, like this, it is like having the richest foods and being satisfied by it. Goes on to say, with singing lips, my mouth will praise you. So uh, going to a football game, you'll hear people scream uh, something when they score a touchdown or they're just trying to make sure the other enemy knows that they're in town. So when you're at a Seattle Seahawks game, this is what they do. They'll go, see, and the other side will go, Hawks, you know? And so this is like, you know, it's everywhere in America now. I'll be in Whole Foods and I'll be wearing a Seahawks hat or whatever. And somebody who's a Seahawks fan will be like, see, and I'll be like in the produce, they'll be like, Hawks, <laughs> you know? And then I'll see somebody like, see, and they're like, Hawks, we don't care, we'll do it. You know, walk around the Broadway Plaza. You could be walking Old Navy, I could be walking into Forever 21 with Rachel, and I'd be like, see, and you'd be like, Hawks. This happens all, ask my wife, this is what we do as Seahawks fans. It's weird. But the reason we do it is we let everybody else know who the champ is. Just gonna keep it real. And I don't know how you do Niners, like, Niners, I don't know, okay? I don't know, I don't know. I don't know how Vegas does Raiders because they're in Vegas. But anyways, um, how do you shout Jesus? How do you shout it with your life? You know, I, and just even with other believers. I mean, like, it's weird to me that I, I can yell Seahawks in a Whole Foods and people are like, oh, I get it. He's, just, he's, he's a sports fan. Oh, yeah, let me have son. But what if I was in Whole Foods and I saw you? I was like, gee, and you were like, Zeus. And I was like, Christ. And I was like, what's going on right now? Oh, let me tell you about G. Jesus. I mean, like, maybe like seven of us, and they're like, what is going on in Whole Foods right now? Do you want to know why uh, this word is used in the Old Testament a handful of times? Nebuchadnezzar had lost his mind. 
He was broken. He was eating like a goat. He was done. He was done. He was done. And then the Lord restored him from brokenness, and Nebuchadnezzar yells, Jesus! He praises the God who restored his broken mind. You were broken, God restored you. He deserves a shout. G! Yes. I didn't do that in 845 because it's 845 service. 1015, good job. <laughs> Proud of you. Proud of you. I was, I was nervous. I didn't know if you're going to do it back. You did it. When we worship, there's two things that should happen all the time. You should remember what God saved you from, and you should remember what he's saving you to. And you should shout Jesus. That Jesus should be shouted in the car because the enemy needs to know who the champ is. The gates of hell needs to know who the champ is. He needs to know who restored your life, who restored your brokenness. He's not only restored, but is also restoring. Jesus. Okay. Um, <laughs> let's keep going. The next one is uh, ta-da, ta-da. It's in a handful of times. To lift hands in adoration or surrender. Did you notice that two of the seven Hebrew words in the Old Testament are lifting hands? Two of the seven are lifting hands. Now, this one's kind of a fascinating one. Psalm 50, 23 says this. Whoever offers praise glorifies me. So do you ever feel like if you raise your hand, you're like bringing attention to yourself? Well, that's maybe what culturally we look at, why hands are raised. But biblically, when you raise your hands this way, it is saying, Lord, I am surrendering. I'm bringing glory to you. And God's saying, when you raise your hands and surrender to me, it glorifies me. When you raise your hands in a posture saying, I am not in charge of my life, you're in charge. I'm not the one who saved me, you saved me. It says it glorifies him. Let's keep going uh, and reading. And to him who orders his conduct um, uh, aright, I will show the salvation of God. You will see the word with Jonah uh, connected to salvation. Stop. So uh, let's use an illustration real quick. Uh, you're four years old and you have a G.I. Joe, okay? And you love that G.I. Joe. All right, or you have a cabbage patch doll, whichever one you want, okay? Cabbage patch doll or a GI Joe. Now, this person approaches you and says, hey, I will give you a $50 million mansion uh, in the um, Walnut Creek Hills, Alamo Hills, East Bay Hills, that overlooks everything, $50 million, just give me your GI Joe. And can you imagine the four-year-old going like this? Not a chance, this is my favorite GI Joe, go Joe, you know? You're like, what are you doing? It's, well, we can buy like, how many GI Joes with that mansion? Terrible, just give him, the, give him the G.I. Joe. Or it's my cabbage patch, so I love it. That would be a terrible decision. Can we agree with this? Now, this word, tada, this type of praise, is God has offered us salvation. We are giving him our sin. Or let's put it this way. God is offering you your purpose and fulfillment, and you have to give him your comfort. But you're like, why would I? I can't give you my comfort. I can't give you my preference. I know it's my purpose. I know it's my fulfillment. I know it's why you made me on earth, but there's no way I'm gonna give you my comfort. Sorry, I'm gonna hold on to my comfort. You just gave up the greatest thing that you're gonna have. Worship will show you real proportions. Worship will put things in the right perspective. Uh, let me put it this way. Jonah gets approached by God. Jonah, I'm gonna use you to change the world. I'm gonna call you to go to Nineveh. You know what Jonah says? Not a chance. I want my G.I. Joe doll. I want comfort. I'm not going to go. So what does Jonah do? He goes the opposite direction. God invites him to be a part of one of the greatest things to be fulfilled. And Jonah leaves, gets on a boat. And this fish, whale, whatever, swallows him up. Do you know that whale, theologically, if you really want to look at this moment, it's showing like what sin is. Sin is running away from your purpose in God. And then there's this thing called grace. It's a big old thing that will swallow you up and it will bring you back to God. And so the whale swallows up Jonah. And now he's in 
this thing called grace. He's in the fish. And you know what he says when he's in the fish? Here's what Jonah says. He uses that praise word again. He uses ta-da, the praise word. He goes right here, he goes, but I will shout of grateful praise. There's that word, will, uh, will, will sacrifice to you. What I've vowed, I will make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord and the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah on dry land. This is his salvation moment. He's getting wrapped up in grace. He's starting to experience grace. Wow, God, this, you, I matter this much to you that you want me to fulfill my purpose so much that you would swallow me with your grace. You would swim me back to where I'm supposed to be, like the prodigal coming home, if you will. And as he's being wrapped up in grace, he says this, I will exchange the G.I. Joe doll for the $50 million mansion. I will exchange my preference for my purpose. I'll exchange my comfort for my calling. I can't believe I would hold on to the things of this world when I could have you. And what happens? He gets spit out into his promise. Some of you are holding on to your preferences right now instead of your purpose. Some of you are holding on to your comfort right now instead of your purpose. The only way for that to happen is to really start worshiping God with some Torah. Can, can I put it this way? Uh, can you imagine uh, LeBron James, front row, got saved last night at the Starbucks. We were hanging out. Let's just imagine that didn't happen. It would be awesome. Um, LeBron James, 6'8", he was playing the Warriors last night. Warriors lost. I was shocked. Whatever. Um, uh, the Warriors have more... Uh, no, whatever. It's a stat, but it's crazy. Uh, sports fan alert. Okay, anyways. Uh, so anyways, uh, la, 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 ta, LeBron James, front row. Uh, Barack Obama, front row. Bill Gates, front row. All three of them, front row. Let's say um, some of the most famous kings and queens in history are in the front row right now. Queen Victoria, some other great kings are in the front row. And what a beautiful name comes on. And they've all been saved. They all said yes to Jesus. And you see LeBron James raise his hands, tears in his eyes, saying, what a beautiful name it is. What a beautiful name it is. And you see a sports athlete that you think has everything raise his hands and say, Lord, I had nothing until I had you. Is that bringing attention to LeBron James or the greatness of God? What if Bill Gates, who, you know, billions of dollars, is on his knees worshiping, raising his hands, doing ta saying, I trade it all for your glory. This is... This is what I want. I want you. How about a great king or, or Barack Obama, somebody influential? Let's say the, the Queen Victoria raising her hands, saying, God, all I want is you. And I love what she actually said in, in uh, one of her quotes. She was talking to her, her pastor. And she said, what's it going to be like when I, when I see Jesus face to face? Will I weep? Will I, will I, will I shout? What will I do? And, and so uh, she, she said, oh, I wish to see Jesus in my lifetime. She wanted Jesus to come back in a lifetime. And the, and, the, and the priest asked, why do you want him to come back in a lifetime? And I love her response. She said this, because I should so love to lay my crown at his feet. Some of you need to lay your crown at his feet. The crown of how great you think you are. The crown of, oh, you take yourself too seriously. The crown of, well, you don't understand. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a boss, and some of my employees go here. They see me raise my hands. I don't look very strong. Can I be honest? You don't need to look that strong. He needs to look strong. Can, can I say it another, another way? Uh, you, you might think if you raise your hands, you may be looked at as less than, or you might be judged. If you looked at less than, who cares? He's supposed to be more than. It's fascinating that we actually think that raising our hands is about us. It's not about you. This isn't about you. It's about bringing glory to the one that saved you. And so this exchange of your preference and your comfort, throw it out and experience the greatness of God. It's not gonna, I can't wait. I've made excuses for our church. I'm just gonna just, I'll be real, okay? So uh, go to my buddy's church, a lot of young adults. They're all raising their hands, they're all excited, they're all exuberant. And I'll say, you know 
that's great. But, you know, you're, there's a university down the street. That's why you guys worship that way. Well, I'm in East Bay. We got a lot of affluent, type A, driven business leaders, business women, businessmen. We got a lot of type A leaders. And, I mean, it's just, it's a different area. And we're not going to tell them to raise their hands. That would be, that would make them feel like they're foolish. And business people don't do that because they're, they're too good for being foolish. These are things that I've literally said and I've defended for our church. If, if I, when I go, well, we, we shouldn't be too crazy. We shouldn't be too exuberant. Because you don't do that in the East Bay because that's just not how we worship in the East Bay. We're not going to tell God how the East Bay worships. The Bible's going to tell the East Bay how it worships. Yeah. Is that okay with you? Yeah. Does that feel like a little, uh-uh? Yeah, it should. Okay. Um, <laughs> last one, I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. Uh, the last one is tequila. I, actually, that's how it's pronounced. kind of like tequila, okay? But not tequila, all right? <laughs> tequila. Um, it means exuberant singing. Psalm, uh, Psalm 34 one says this, I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. Always be on my lips. So people ask us, so why do we sing so many songs? Why do we sing every Sunday? There are over 300 mandates in the Bible to sing praises to God. It's that simple. And so it's interesting what should be on our lips throughout the week. Are the praises of how great God is or worry or gossip? This is really when the, the, the Lord's looking for those kind of worshipers. When you wake up in the morning, the God of Monday, may your praise always be on my lips. I'm going to finish with this verse, and um, we'll send you on the way to go worship for the rest of the week. Luke 10, 27 says this, Love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. It's the most important commandment. Studying uh, the Greek worship words and the Hebrew worship words, the words that I did not see describing praise was, sit there and look at me. That's not a way that we worship God. And I know, even 8.45 after I got done preaching, it was one of those services. Like last week was like such like, like everybody left so happy. Like, the Father loves me? I preached on I believe in the Father. Oh, it's, I loved it. Oh, yes, yes. Oh, you know, Father, oh, yes, I love it. But this one, man, when the Lord comes and teaches us with his word, makes us feel a little uncomfortable, challenges us. My prayer is, is that one of these praise words maybe did kind of touch a spot in your life where you said, Lord, we've been, and can I use this term married, bride and, and groom? We've been in a covenant relationship for 15 years. Can you imagine not knowing that your spouse maybe loves holding hands and you haven't done it for 15 years? You would repent and go, I didn't know you loved holding hands. I'm so sorry. We can, we can hold hands at the supermarket. You're my bride. Of course I'd hold hands with you. And some of you found out for the first time that your God loves to be worshiped in a way that you had no idea. It's okay. Don't beat yourself up over it, but say today, God, I get it. This is how you want to be worshiped. This, and, and not only that, this worship will actually benefit my life too. That's how good you are, God. They do studies. Those who celebrate more are less negative and worry less. But those who talk negatively worry more and get sick more. Do you know that celebration changes the way that your body even like processes? Man, I want to celebrate more. Man, I want to praise more. Will you bow your heads with me? Thanks again for listening to the Mission Church Podcast. If you enjoyed it, make sure you subscribe so you can keep up on our weekly sermons. If you're in the Bay Area, we invite you to come join us on Sundays. You can find all the details on our website at missionchurchca.com. Again, thanks so much for listening, and we hope to see you soon.